Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Good evening. Why am I saying good evening? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. That's embarrassing. I I guess I could have just pretended. I I don't know what I, why did I say good evening? I don't, I don't know why. I I know what I was doing. I know what I was. (laughs) Okay. Now I'm embarrassed. Okay. Now my face is all turning red and I'm embarrassed. Okay. All right. Hear me out. Okay. Hear me out. The reason I was saying good evening is because, because my brain was not even thinking about what I was saying. We just got, as soon as the intro was over, I don't know if you heard, there was like just a, a slight pause there because as the intro was playing, I was like, wait, 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 wait. Um, Maybe I should start the podcast. I, I was coming up with a different way of beginning the podcast. I was thinking of this, like, as soon as I get done with my intro material, I'm going to say this. So I was thinking about what I was going to say when I needed to be live saying something. There's nothing worse that, that you're thinking about what you're going to say when you're supposed to be saying something live. So I'm sitting here thinking about this and all of a sudden I realize, wait a minute, I'm supposed to say welcome everyone and I just go into good evening everyone, but it's not evening. No, the, it, it, the sun is is very much up here in West Texas. It is good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. It is Tuesday, September the 6th, 2022. It is currently 1.30 p.m. Central Time. I had a look at the clock. 1.30 p.m. Central Time. And I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studios located right here in Abilene, Texas. Okay. Okay. This is, I've done, uh, I see, this is the third live broadcast today. I think this is the third. And I think on the second one, I messed up the intro. Now, I used that. That was more a little bit... That was a little bit on purpose because I was trying to make a point. So, so that one I don't really hold against me. But this one I've just completely destroyed. I've completely destroyed the intro here, like completely destroyed it. Now, what I have to do is forget about how bad I've messed this up and move forward. But before I can, I'm going to have to say one more time, welcome, everyone. It is Tuesday, September the 6th, 2022. It is currently 1.31 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studios, located right here in Abilene, Texas, where it is very much daytime. It is not evening time. It's very much the afternoon, not the evening, and we've got a lot to talk about. Now, if you remember, I've been asking you a series of questions. Okay, so we're done with all of that nonsense. Now let's get serious. I have been asking you a number of questions about giving me three things, three things that you think young people need to be taught in 2022 in the church, three things that you think young people need to be taught. I asked everyone to to give me their thoughts, to give me their suggestions. Some people have, some people haven't, but I've been asking for that. Another thing, three things that you think are missing in preaching today. Now, this is not just preaching to the young people, preaching in general. Three things that you think are missing in preaching today. I, I um, Honestly, I don't know if anyone's given me a list of those things. I, maybe they have. I can't remember. I can't remember. I, uh, I'll have to go back and look. And then I asked everyone to name three enemies, three enemies that are inside the church, three enemies that are within the church. And we have started a mini-series looking at this idea of enemies within the church. 
But right when we got ready to go live, I started change. I, I almost decided to change the entire series and ask uh, someone to create me some new artwork because I almost said, you know what? This is not about enemies within the church. The series is fast becoming the church's inability to see the enemies within because all we can do is identify the enemies without. Can the church even identify the enemies within itself because we spend most of our time pointing the finger outside? Now, if you look at the artwork, it's two fingers pointing in the same direction. And like it, we need to be pointing at ourselves. We don't need to be pointing outside the church. But I think the church has become so preoccupied with the enemies outside its doors, it's not paying any attention to the, you know, spiritual serial killer sitting inside the pew, okay? I, 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 really, I really believe that there is truth to that. The church has always been so good at telling the world what it's doing wrong. You make the wrong kind of music. You make the wrong kind of movies. You write the wrong kind of books. You dress the wrong way. You listen to the wrong things. You watch the wrong things. You go to the wrong places. You say the wrong words. You believe the wrong things. You think they're, you're all wrong. And somehow, dun, 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 we are all right. Now, there's no way to deny the church has definitely put forth that image. But are there enemies within? Now, what we're doing in this series, if, if, we, can, if we can do better in this series than what I've done here in part two, is, well, we are considering a podcast episode from the podcast Understanding the Times. Because last Thursday night, Friday morning, they dropped their new episode. And it was all about, they basically asked the question, are there enemies within the church? Who are these enemies? And then they set out in the podcast episode to identify the enemies that are within the church. And the very first one they mentioned caught me completely off guard. And I'm like, what is going on? According to them, the first enemy within the church that they identified is, are you ready for this? Socialism, Marxism. And I'm like, wait, what? So the enemy within the church that the church needs to be fighting against is rooting out, identifying, and removing Marxism and socialism. And I'm totally baffled by that. Not only that, there are so many reasons for that, but what they're attempting to do is looking at the most liberal, 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 liberal denominations that have already abandoned historical Christianity years and years and years ago, and they'll look at things that they say that may be quote-unquote socialist or Marxist and say, see, that's the enemy within the church. I'm like, no, those churches already abandoned Christianity, so why would you identify that that is a church and that the enemy is inside? That stopped being anything close to a biblical church. So they, it, it's, and, and to me, they, they're acting like that it's the Marxism and the socialism that will destroy the church. And I will argue the church was destroyed because of its abandonment of historical biblical Christianity and the Marxism and socialism is simply a fruit of their abandonment. Of, but but they, they got it all backwards. But I was just baffled that that's the direction they went. So what we're doing is we're working through this episode. Hopefully we're going to get a list of enemies within the church. But right now they're still continuing their discussion about Marxism and socialism. So we're going to continue to listen to their discussion and at some point in this series, we will uh, consider what I think are the enemies within the church. And of course, I still want your list. What are, do you believe are the three major enemies within the church, not outside the church? Email that to me. 
newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. All right. Can I, can I save this episode? I hope I can. All right. Are you ready? Here we go. We go back to understanding the times. Please subscribe to their podcast. I don't agree with all of their theology. I don't agree with all of their doctrine. But I think, uh, all, I'll put it this way, one episode a week doesn't take a lot of time. And even if you start listening and you disagree with it within 15, 20 minutes, typically it's a something at least somewhat interesting and uh, discussion worthy. So that's, that's what I use it for. But are you ready? Here we go. They're nine minutes and 30 seconds into this episode. There's about, what, another 47 minutes to go. Um, so I, I'm hoping that this just doesn't turn into socialism, Marxism, bad. Socialism, Marxism, bad. What we need is the Bill of Rights. What we need is the Constitution. What we need is to make America great again. What we need are Republicans. That seems to be where they're going. This doesn't seem to have anything to do with the enemy within the church and the church being destroyed. They're more concerned with America being destroyed. And the fact that they think America, that they've placed America before the church seems to indicate to me the enemy that's truly within the church. This is the irony of this. Well, they're pointing their finger saying the enemy within the church is Marxism and socialism. What I think that they've proved is that they they have already given in to the enemy within the church that everyone seems to completely ignore. They've been so politically hijacked, they've just placed America and protecting America before the church. And they don't even realize what they're doing. Because just subtly, while they're supposedly saying this is about the enemies within the church, they keep talking about America, the country, the Constitution. What do they have to do with the enemy within the church? So in a subtle way, they've demonstrated they become victim of the enemy within the church. You know how we become victimized by the enemy within the church? We can't even identify it. And because most of the time, guess who the enemy within the church is? It's each one of us who stands behind a pulpit, stands in front of a Sunday school class, or sits in a pew. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that is probably not theology that will be popular, but here we go. What I see happening is the evangelical movement, as it concerns critical race theory, social justice, some other things we're going to talk about as well, are following in the dangerous footsteps of the Methodists, of the various very liberal denominations, I don't think we have to name them all, you just name Methodists, but some of the Lutheran denominations, they went down a wrong path some 100 years ago. But Okay, I got to stop right here. See, once again, they, they're so confused. I, like, this, this, I, I want to scream because they keep saying the liberal denominations went down this path. And what they think is they went down to the path of, you know, socialism, capitalism, critical race theory. No, 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 no. These denominations abandon historical biblical Christianity. It was their theology, it was their theological liberalism that became, that resulted in their so-called political liberalism. See, we want to worry about the political liberalism. See, if the political liberalism gets into the church, the church will be destroyed. No, you're, the, the problem is theological liberalism. When you abandon the historical creeds and confessions of faith, when you abandon biblical doctrines like inerrancy, the, uh, the infallibility of Scripture, inspiration of Scripture, the deity of Christ, the hypostatic union, the Trinity, when you begin to abandon many of those theological principles in any meaningful, meaningful way, oh, it's still, they still may show up in your doctrinal statements, you still may read the creeds, but you've left all of the theology of all of those documents. They're now now just mere words for religious ritual, 
then you're in trouble. See, they keep wanting to say, see, these are the things that's destroying the church. The church is always destroyed by its abandonment of theological truth, and they're leaving their first love. It's theological, think of it this way, it's a theological unfaithfulness and then unfaithfulness to Christ and our love for him. That's the problem. But they're like, you know, no, the, the evangelical church is going down the same path these other denominations. Now, if you want to talk about these churches going down the same path and abandoning historical biblical Christianity, then I'm all with you. But all you're talking about is socialism and Marxism. That's, that's what, and because you want to protect capitalism. I don't know how the church is involved in any of that, but okay. Now we've got evangelicals doing it, and they're toying around, again, with social justice, critical race theory, LGBTQ, etc., making the same mistakes. Yes, history is just repeating. It seems like it begins with denying the inerrancy of Scripture. Mm -hmm. That's the first critical. Okay, now, now we're getting somewhere. It begins with denying the errancy of Scripture. Okay, great. So wouldn't the enemy of the, the enemy in the church would not be Marxism and socialism? So why would you start that the problem was Marxism and socialism, and then you just admit that it starts with a denial of the inerrancy of Scripture? So wouldn't the first enemy uh, within the church be um, higher criticism, and theological liberalism that calls that begins to call that calls into question the, the word of God and the trustworthiness of the word of God. Wouldn't that not be the enemy within the church that shows up in seminaries and in different places and different books and different theological circles? See now, see this is confusing to me because I would agree that once the the enemy within the church attacks the reliability, trustworthiness of God's word, well, then the church begins to look to other things. I, I would agree with them here, but it's just weird that go ten minutes, basically talking about socialism and Marxism, and then say, "Oh, it starts with the attack on the inerrancy of Scripture." Then that's the enemy, not the Marxism and socialism. It's the attack on the inerrancy of Scripture. <laughs> so I, I, I don't understand. ...step, which is devastating, and that war has been fought for many years in many denominations. But once you unhinge from the absolutes of the moral laws of God in the Old Testament, literally everything in the New Testament, when unhinged from the Old, becomes very much moral relativism. It's humanism with Christianese layered over top of it. That's what... Now, this is interesting. So, now, he's not identifying these as enemies within the church, but he's telling you this is where it all began. So, first, a denial of inerrancy. So, a denial of inerrancy and then a detachment from the moral law of the Old Testament. That's interesting. So, I'm going to write these down because... This, 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 like, like I'm going to help them. I'm going to help them with their podcast episode. Like, you want to talk, you want to talk about enemies within the church. Well, you wasted tw uh, 10 minutes doing the wrong ones. Okay. So denial, denial of inerrancy, detachment from Old Testament moral law. Now I'm a little, I'm a little worried about this one. 
about the detachment from the Old Testament's moral law because they say it leads to moral relativism. But if you're not careful, you turn New Testament Christianity into nothing more than moralism. Like, if you're worried about moral relativism, I think there's an equal and opposite danger of turning Christianity into nothing more than moralism. So maybe we could say one of the major enemies within the church is a, a inability or an ignorance on the distinction between law and gospel. Right? Okay, so let's see where else they go here. What's really happening, we sometimes refer to that as pop psychology or pop Christianity. The intersectionality is a wonderful way to allure people thinking that we're talking about Christian themes. For example, racism. What Christian would ever support racism? Racism is antithetical to anything. What Christian would ever support racism? I mean, it has never occurred in the history of Christianity in the United States of America. Christians were always opposed to racism. I mean, the Southern Baptist Convention completely stood against racism and and slavery. I mean, Christian churches never supported uh, Jim Crow laws. Christian churches never supported segregation. What are you talking about? Christians would never. Are you out of your mind? The scriptures, Mm -hmm. but it is an emotional thing because we're lawless. We're not conditioned in America today anyway to use synthesis, antithesis, thesis, antithesis thinking. We're very emotion driven. So everything's about how do I feel? They have mastered the art. I say they, I mean Marxists or socialists, mastered the art of touching Christian hot buttons of emotion where we have very bad feelings about racism, and we should. And we have terrible feelings about people being mistreated because of some particular characteristic in their life, and we should feel that way. But they exploit those good emotions, the desire that everyone would be treated well, and then they pull us into error. It is a really deviant, dangerous thing. I played a clip introducing the program. So Marxists and socialists come into the church... They talk about things that make us feel bad, and then they manipulate us into abandoning biblical theology for a Marxist social, social socialist ideology. See, they're 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 consp- I, and I hate to use the word, but it seems like their conspiratorial theory and how this works. I just you're telling me conservative churches in America, conservative churches, the danger are is the Marxist within, the socialism within. That is just absurd. The, the conservative churches, it's not the Marxists and the socialists within. It's the QAnon, far-right, Republican, hijacked Christian that, that's a danger to theirs. So I, I, I'm, oh, I, I'm, I so think they, like, they were on to something. Like, we could talk about the denial of inerrancy, the detachment from the moral law. We, we, though, though, now you're getting to something theological and then immediately abandons the theological discussion. I'm back to Marxism and socialism because, you know, they make us feel bad about, about injustice. They make us feel bad about racism. I mean, oh no, how, how dare we feel bad about that? No, 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 no. Because that's not an issue. That's not a sin we should ever have to deal with, right? That's not a sin Christianity has to ever deal with. But all right, let, let's, let's see where they're going to go of Trevor Loudon, and again, he clarified in the intro that the Southern Baptist, the last bastion of true Christianity and the left is saying, if we can conquer the Southern Baptists, we can shift the entire South to the left. So this was... A- Please note, 
See, if we can conquer the Southern Baptists, we can shift the entire country to the left. So now what they've done inadvertently is now view the church as the thing to keep everyone to the right. They're not talking theological right and left. They're talking social, political right and left. The church is not there to keep the South politically right. The church is not there to keep anyone politically right. The church is not there for that. When the church is used by the right or the left to shift the population one way or the other politically, then the church has prostituted itself to a political force instead of standing for biblical truth and staying committed to our first love. We've become spiritual adulterers selling ourselves for the use of political purposes. That's not what we're supposed to be about. The church is need well, the church is the Southern Baptist is what's keeping everyone, you know, politically conservative. No, the Southern Baptist should be the thing keeping people theologically conservative, biblically minded. Now, does that result in voting a certain way? I'm not here to get whether it does or doesn't. I'm in, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in the church. I don't know. Let me see here if I can think of what. It, oh, yeah, being the church. I know what a radical idea. A planned strategy, and I think you say in the film that maybe a starting date we could consider would be about 1973. Would that be right? Well, in 1973, you have two things happening at the same time that are really major tipping points in American history. One, the Republican-dominated Supreme Court rules in the infamous Roe v. Wade for the alleged right to kill children. Republican, Republican, just sometimes Christians forget that. Democrats, Democrats want to kill babies. And there was a Republican dominated Supreme Court. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. But, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> but let's let's look to politics to save us. Right. See, this this is not a this has literally nothing to do with the enemies within the church. Everything is about the culture. Marxist, socialist, Supreme Court voting. Ev- this has nothing to do with the, 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 the enemy within the church. They, they had a very little like, oh, the light came in. Like, let's talk about the denial of the inerrancy of scripture. Let's talk about a detachment from the Old Testament law. And then boom, moved right back on it. Where are we at? We're right back to more political language. Boom. And then at that same moment, there is a coup d'etat going on inside the American Psychiatric Association where secret closeted homosexual psychologists have strategically taken over the ruling board of the APA and then voted almost unanimously after they took over almost every seat to remove their sin from the list of psychiatric disorders, Mm -hmm. declaring themselves perfectly mentally normal. So this combination of the sexual deviancy in one hand that creates children out of wedlock with heterosexuality and then homosexuality, which is clearly forbidden in the scripture, through the area of sex and the 1960s cultural movement of free love and all of this in this perfect moment with truly Satan stirring the pot, America starts heading down a very destructive road. And He's talking about things that happened in society. And then America started down this destructive road. Now, again, this, the, the, they themselves refer to this episode as enemies within the church. They even began the, the podcast episode as saying, are there enemies within the church? 
They've dealt, dealt with almost nothing going on inside the church. They're talking about everything going on outside of the church. So let's see now if they can bring this inside the church. The ramifications now are men are claiming that they're women. You've got the same exact people that say we were born gay. You flip it around five minutes later, they say, well, we weren't born any gender at all. Yes. And it seems so crazy, but really there is a method to the madness. They have a goal, and they're not concerned at all about looking hypocritical. They don't care. Their consciences have been damaged. Their goal is to obtain power and to reshape America into the kind of socialist utopia that they want it to be. And we've got Christians who are only interested in gaining power to turn it into some kind of Christian utopia that they dream it to be. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you don't see the utter absurdity and, and irony of what you're saying. Those liberals out there, they have this socialist utopia. So they're trying to gain power so they can turn America into their socialistic utopia. And you don't see the church all over the place running around trying to gain power to turn it into some kind of Christian utopia done so through political means instead of the proclamation of the gospel. Sorry, this is absurdity. This is supposed to be about enemies within the church. I, again, I know I messed up the intro, but I wish I would have thought about how to begin just like a, a, a 30 seconds before because I would have had it all worked out and I wouldn't have made that horrible mistake saying this evening. And I know you're like, it's no big deal. Just move on. No, no. But listen to me because I would have began the podcast going, is it possible that the church is incapable of seeing the enemies within, because all we can ever do is point at the enemies without. That is the real question of this podcast episode today. In, in total contrast with what the Founding Fathers designed us to be as a nation. I wonder- founding Fathers. What, what he, see, he's worried about what could happen to America. See, they're going to turn America into something that our Founding Fathers never wanted. See, see it, this is about America. They should call this the enemies within the United States of America and say that we're no longer a Christian podcast. We are a political podcast who wants America to look like this. And we're going to defend and just say you're a constitutional program dealing with the restoring the Constitution as the document that defines what America is. I don't care what you do with your podcast, but this is supposed to be an episode about the enemies within the church. Christians can't even see anymore that they've abandoned theology. They've abandoned Christ. They've abandoned the church. They've abandoned doctrine for their political ideology. They, they're, they're in love with politics, not Christ. Christ is simply a tool. Christ is simply the means to an end. Let's use Jesus to get the political power we want so that we can impose a Christian utopia on people who are not even Christians. play one more clip it's backing up here what you're saying the year i was born 1973 seemed to put a bow on the turmoil of the 1960s the obtuse and arrogant united states supreme court elevated themselves to the rank of roman caesar via the illegitimate opinion of roe v wade trouncing a plain reading of the united states constitution and organic law of the declaration This has nothing to do with the church. They trampled the Constitution. 
Because the Bible says, make sure we're worried about the Constitution of the United States of America. There is nothing in the Bible that even mentions the Constitution of the United States. It's not there. So what does this have to do with enemies within the church? But that wasn't the only horrible thing that happened the year I was born. On another front, a closeted homosexual coup d'etat of the American Psychiatric Association took place and reached its zenith when a majority of gay men snuck into voting positions and voted to remove themselves from the infamous list of psychiatric disorders, declaring themselves perfectly mentally fit in contradiction with more than 100 years of clinical science. So those two events of abortion and perverted sexual activism created a chain of events that have led us to now. A millennial culture who claims they were born gay even though science says that they weren't, right? Oh, man. Okay. Got to take a deep breath because nothing ticks me off more than Christians pursuing this line of, re- you weren't born gay. You don't know how a person was born. You don't. I know this. Well, no, I'm sorry. You, you know one thing about how someone, you don't, you don't know how someone is born when it deals with their sexuality. You do know how someone is born when it deals with their uh, depravity. They're born sinners. They're born totally depraved. And that depravity manifests itself in every person different, but it comes from what is born inside of us. Listen, if I was, if, if they were born heterosexual, and they chose homosexuality, that would seem to indicate that anyone could choose it. And let me tell you, I never could. I never would be able to. And, 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 and I, it's just insane to be able to say this. Um, okay, so we just said remain calm and try not to have a seizure. I'm, I'm trying not to, but this just it makes me so angry, right? It's like, you weren't born that way, but they were born a sinner, right? And isn't that sin going to manifest itself in some way? Yes. And when it comes to human sexuality, come on, do, 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 I mean, like, do we need to get blunt here? People have likes and dislikes. And I mean, that, that, that I, some of them, I don't understand. I mean, like, like there, that is, you're getting into a complicated mess. So this is an episode that's supposed to be about the enemies within the church. And now they're arguing about, no, the science says you weren't born that way. They would argue that science doesn't say whether they were or weren't, weren't. I mean, we could go, we could go. They've tried to argue that maybe science can prove, prove they were born that way. While others try to claim science doesn't prove that they were born that way. Why, why did Christians ever get involved in that argument? Here's the argument. You're born a sinner. I'm born a sinner. I'm born a heterosexual. Even though I'm born a heterosexual, there's about 500 rules about what I can and cannot do as a heterosexual that would be sinful. You're born a homosexual. There's rules about what you can and can't do being born a homosexual or you're going to be engaged in sin. So here's the thing. You're born a sinner. I'm born a sinner. We both need Christ. We come to Christ. Now we are taught to obey what he tells us to do. Here are the rules that Christ gives for sexuality. Guess what? There's rules for heterosexuals. And there would be rules for homosexuals. The way we are born becomes irregardless to what we can and can't do. I'm born a sinner, but God still condemns my sinning. Why didn't we look at it from that perspective? When Christians get involved in this argument, it makes no sense to me. You're arguing something that's completely meaningless and vain. We're all born sinners, yet God condemns the sin. 
So guess what? However I'm born, according to my sexuality, there's still biblical rules in what I can and cannot do with whichever sexuality that I think I was born with. After declaring that they were not born any sex at all, even though science says that they were. Who knew that there was any such thing as gender fluidity? No one had ever conceived of such a thing. This is such a groundbreaking discovery that the poor scientists have no earthly idea how to tell the public that gender fluidity has zero impact on the biological realities between human legs. But even if they do try, and who knows if they actually will try, will they get sued for discrimination and hate? Now, again, uh, we could get into a whole thing about gender fluidity. We could get into about gender identity versus biology. We could go, we could have these conversations all day. We could talk and we can talk and we can talk. Remember, this is supposed to be identifying the enemies within the church. Will they be bigots like the rest of us? If you look at who founded the modern gay rights movement in this country, was a man called Harry Hay, and he founded the Mattachine Society and other radical gay groups in the 40s and 50s and was a very active Communist Party member. He left the Communist Party because he could do more good for the cause without the Communist Party label. He remained a communist till the day he died, and he is... Oh, man, this is... (laughs) Oh, I'm getting flashbacks to my military training and basic training. Okay, Lackland Air Force Base, San Antonio, Texas. We were taught that pornography, homosexuality, immorality was a communist plot to destroy America. And I think I'm the one who got in trouble because I raised my hand and go, so you mean right down on the military base, the BX, where they sell pornography, they're following the communist plot to destroy us? I mean, if you're telling me that that communism wants pornography and morality and homosexuality to destroy us, you literally sell pornography right down here on the military installation. And I, I, I nobody liked that I pointed out the utter ridiculousness. And not only that, what was hilarious is why they're telling me that, it's a, that immorality and sexuality and all these things is a communist plot to destroy America. The training instructors had a chalkboard in the, in the, in the chow hall, dining hall, where they were keeping track of how many women they were sleeping with during our time there in, 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 in military training. And, uh, oh, yeah, I think they were married. So they were involved in adultery, which is actually against the military rules, and they were flaunting it. But, hey, it's the communist. It's, it's somehow we're going to connect homosexuality to communism. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, I, let, me, let me just try to help you out. You may want to move in close to the speaker. Homosexuality existed before communism. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? I think homosexuality is, I think it's mentioned all the way there back in Genesis. Did did you really? Before Russia, before the evil Soviet Union, before China, before North Korea. Did, did, Did you know that? Homosexuality is not the product of communism. 
homosexuality is the product of depravity, which everyone has. Some depravity may lead to homosexuality, or other depravity may lead to sexual uh, immorality amongst uh, heterosexual. Whether heterosexual or homosexual, sexual immorality is, guess what? Prevalent in both. It's just a different kind of sexual immorality. But this is supposedly the enemies within the... It's just hilarious. They're connecting it to communist. Communists are trying to destroy us through homosexuality. Because, yeah, communists makes us... I don't know if you know this, that if you you get around too much uh, communist propaganda, it will make you gay. It will make you gay. I guess that's the way it works. Absolutely the father of the modern gay rights movement. Now, you have to understand with these movements, it's not about the movement... The issue is not the issue. The issue is the revolution. How do you break down the American family? How do you break down American Christianity? One of the best ways to do it is to turn homosexuals into an accepted minority that must be atoned to, that must be. So the number one way to break down American Christianity is to turn homosexuals into something, homosexuality into something that is okay, something that must be accepted. That's the way you destroy Christianity? The enemy, but that's not an enemy within, that's an enemy without. This entire episode, they're 17 minutes into this, and they've yet to really even come close to identify the enemy within, because the church is incapable of seeing what's wrong with us. We always see what's wrong with everyone else, and it's always the homosexual, the homosexual, the homosexual, the homosexual, the homosexual. Yeah, you're right, because Christians have done such a good job as good, strong heterosexuals in proving the sanctity of marriage and and staying away from sexual and morality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've done. Yeah. Let's worry about the homosexual outside the church because we're doing so good with our sexuality inside the church. I mean, we're doing wonderful with it. I mean, there's never any sexual sin inside the church. None at all. None. Be both accepted into your society and made to be even above normal. They must have more rights than everyone else. It would appear that quite a few other Above others? What what rights are we giving homosexuals that we don't currently have? If them wanting to be able to get married, is that a right above mine? Now, if they force the church to perform a gay marriage, then okay, then we've got problems. But if they just want a civil union recognized by the state... How is that like, oh, you're getting a right that I want. They get the right to marry, get the right to get divorced. I, I, I don't know, man, but okay. All right, I'm gonna, again, I think they're getting ready to play a clip from J.D. Greer, which Christians always lose their minds over. Let, let's, let's see what he has to say. I think it's J.D. Greer. Right, here we go. Normal, they must have more rights than everyone else. It would appear that quite a few other sins are more egregious in God's eyes than homosexuality. Jen Wilkin, who's one of our favorite Bible teachers here and who's actually leading our women's conference, she said, we ought to whisper about what the Bible whispers about and we ought to shout about what it shouts about. And the Bible appears more to whisper when it comes to sexual sin compared to its shouts about materialism and religious pride. Now the L. Oh, Christians lost it when J.D. Greer said that. They lost it. They lost. No, 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 no. 
the Bible never whispers about sexual sin. Now, please note, he said whispers about sexual sin. The quote's usually given that it whispers about homosexuality. It whispers about sexual sin, which would include homosexuality. You say, well, no, the Bible says a lot about, uh, about, about sexual sin. I'm not going to say it doesn't. But here's what, I mean, you could, I mean, if you want, I mean, instead of having arguments with people, this is why I'm such a believer in Bible study methods, didn't just do a topical method on the subject, right? Take sexual sin and then look up some, uh, some other big sins that you think the Bible talks about. See which one is mentioned the most. Which one is condemned the loudest? Is pride condemned more than sexual sin? Is materialism? Like, like, like which, which is it? The, 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 the evangelical church has elevated sexual sin to, I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the top one. It's the big one. I mean, it's the sin of sins, homosexuality or heterosexual. Now, I'm not saying we should ever excuse sexual immorality. I'm not in any means saying we should. I'm just saying that sometimes when someone just points out, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think the Bible emphasizes these sins more. Oh, how dare you say that? Oh, and everybody loses their mind. Calm down. It's either a factual statement, right? Or it's not factual. So instead of getting upset, all you do is spend some time going, how many scriptures condemn pride? How many scriptures condemn this? How many scriptures condemn this? How many scriptures condemn idolatry more than, than sexual immorality? How many sins condemn? I mean, you can, or how many, how many scriptures condemn these sins? But again, supposedly this is about the enemies within the church and they have completely demonstrated a lack of ability to really identify anything going on inside the church at this point. Now they mentioned J.D. Greer there. But are, are they going to actually, are, are they going to play that entire sermon in its context and review all of it? Maybe we need to find the famous J.D. Greer message where he says, I think I did review this. I think I went through like a, a bunch of his sermons dealing, I think, I think it was on his sermon series in Romans 1 and Romans 2. I think it was Romans 1 or Romans 2. I think we did look at it, and it was not near as controversial as everyone makes it out. Everyone clips that, that thing down to the smog. <gasps> he says whispers about sexual sin. Can you believe that J.D. Greer said that God whispers about homosexuality? You see what he was trying to emphasize, that we have a tendency to take some sins. We scream about it, where the Bible seems to be maybe more even kill about it. And then these other sins that the Bible seems to really be upset about, we play it down. You, you got to admit that. Look, th this is just natural sinful nature. Which sins are am I, which sins am I, am I going to yell and scream the most about? The ones I commit or the ones I never ever going to have a problem to commit? I'm never going to have a problem with homosexuality. Never going to have an issue with it. Never. Not even in my top billion of sins that I'm going to struggle with. So I can yell and scream about that and come across as a self-righteous jerk. I'm not so quick to yell and scream about, I don't know, the ones I struggle with. GBTQ movement, as they call it in these days, has made huge inroads in Christian churches in this country. Many Christian churches have gone from holding homosexuality as a sin to welcoming homosexuals into their church and apologizing for their past unaccepting behavior. 
Now, here's the thing. I keep saying this over and over and over. When you say that these churches are doing this, is it the conservative evangelical church that this is an enemy within the gates? Typically, the congregations that you're pointing to that has done this with homosexuality, maybe they're flying the gay uh, gray pr- gay pride flag, and maybe they're doing things that are very pro-homosexual. Forget the homosexuality. Forget the gay pride flag. Forget all of that. Go look at them. These are churches that have abandoned the inerrancy of Scripture. They've abandoned the deity of Christ. They've abandoned the hypostatic union. They've almost thrown all of that out. They've almost thrown all of that out, and they're more of like, so what are you really about? Well, they're really not about theology. They're not really about doctrine. They're, real, they're more about social issues, but just social issues from a liberal perspective. Okay, then the problem isn't the homosexuality. It wasn't the LGBTQ movement that corrupted the church. The church was corrupted and embraced the LGBTQ idea. That's what they, 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 they're supposed to be talking about the enemies within. The enemy within destroyed the, the church's Christianity. And so the church has to embrace some other form of ideology. I don't know why they can't see that. Anyone who knows anything about church history, look at the churches that are so like pro this and pro that and pro this. They, I mean, man, they've, they, inerrancy of scripture? No. It's, it, it, do we take it literal? No. It's allegorical. It's just a story. It contains myths. Some of it's true. Maybe some of it's not. Jesus was a good moral person. There's not just one way to heaven. There's not even an, an eternal hell. They've abandoned all of that. So then the, their issue, that's not an enemy within the church. That's LGBTQ and some building that used to claim to be a church. So this is not an enemy within the church. At a Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission conference, Al Mohler repented, used that word, for denying same-sex orientation. What? He believes that homosexuality is an innate orientation. He repented for having taken a biblical position on sexual behavior? Yes. He repented he for repented being biblical. It. One of the embarrassments that I have to bear is that I have written on some of these issues now for nearly 30 years, and at a couple of points, I have to say, I got that wrong, and we got to go back and correct it, correct it by Scripture. Now, early in this controversy, I felt it quite necessary in order to make clear the gospel to deny anything like a sexual orientation, and speaking at an event for the National Association of Evangelicals 20-something years ago, I, I made that point. I repent of that. You're listening to Understanding the Times. Okay, so they're upset that Albert Mueller repented about the idea of a sexual orientation. All right, so so now now this is that would be this their, their argument. See, it's inside the church. Now, if you go to Albert Mueller, okay, now now I, now we can talk. Say, finally, after eighteen minutes, they give me something that I can really work with here. Everything else has basically been about society. Now you got Albert Mueller, pre, you know, uh, former president of Southern Baptist Convention and president of what Southwestern Southeast Southwestern uh, Theological Seminary. Theologically, you would say conservative. Theologically, you would say biblical. Okay, all right, so. Now we've got to figure out what did he just do there? Because now they've just basically said there's an enemy within the church. All right. Let's do a little bit of work here. Let's do a little bit of work here, right? Because this is what we do on this podcast, right? This is what we do. We do, we, we, we spend a lot of time trying to do a work and trying to figure these things out. I'm going to look up the phrase sexual orientation definition. All right. 
sexual orientation, a person's uh, a person's identity in relation to the gender or genders to which they are sexually attracted, the fact of being heterosexual or homosexual. So sexual orientation, by definition, is a person's identity in relation to the gender or genders to which they are sexually attracted. Now, what they're claiming is, no, 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 no. Biblically, there's only one sexual orientation. You are born to be attracted to the opposite sex. That's the way it is. It can't be any other way. And if it isn't another way, it's not true that you're lying. You're claiming to be attracted to this other sex, but you re- you're just choosing that. It's not really your orientation. You're living in denial. You're living a land of fantasy. You're living a land of make-believe. You're trying to convince yourself, oh, I'm attracted to someone of the same sex. But deep down, you're really not. Now, I don't know where the Bible would tell me anything about what my sexual orientation is or isn't. I know this. My Bible identifies my orientation as a sinner. And as a sin, I have a tendency to desire all kinds of things that go against God's will and way. I go against God's will and way in every other area. So why is it not possible that because of my depravity that I am born with, that I am born, because I'm born a sinner, that not only am I born a sinner to go against God's will and way and all of these other areas, why is it not possible that I would be born to go against God's will and way sexually? Well, how can we say biblically that's not possible? Typically, those, now I I think there are some who say, yeah, I I just, I, 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 I like guys, I like, I like girls. I think some just have that. Others do not. But many talk about living a lie for years, like for 10, 15 years. I tried and I tried and tried, but finally I realized, look, I'm, I keep playing a game and I've got to acknowledge who I am. I, I, here's the thing. I don't know why Christians are so caught up on this. It's just, it's just so confusing to me. So let me make sure I understand. That this, and I've had so many arguments with Christians over this and they get so mad at me, probably because they typically misrepresent what I'm saying. I start from this position. We're all born sinners. We're all born sinners. Therefore, there's all kinds of things already messed up right from the minute we're born. Right? From, we're, we're conceived sinners from the moment of our conception. All right, so we already are born broken and messed up. So that, that messed up brokenness is going to show itself in a million different ways. Why can it not show itself up in sexuality? I've yet to get a Christian to give me a good explanation to why it can't work that way. Because it works in every other area of life. I don't think the right way. I don't feel the right way. I don't desire the right way. Every other thing is messed up. Why can't my sexuality be messed up, right? So that's, that's where I start. Number two, what difference does it make whether you say they're born that way or not born that way? What how does that change anything? You say, well, no, no. If they say they're born that way, that excuse the behavior. Really? Really? Does, that, does it really work that way? Because I'm born a heterosexual, and if I engage in certain behaviors, my behaviors are still condemned even though I was born that way. I'm born a sinner, and if I sin, my sin is still condemned. So being born that way is irrelevant to the Christian worldview. We're born sinners, but yet sin is condemned. You're born a heterosexual, yet you can you can only engage in heterosexuality actions only in certain situations, and here are the biblical rules. You're born a homosexual? Well, I'm sorry, you can't engage in the action because it is wrong. But some people want to condemn even the fact that they have the desire. 
if there uh, is it if it leads to lust then it's a sin if it leads to action then it's a sin and again i so Albert Moeller is the enemy within the church because he seems to acknowledge that there, there is something called sexual orientation and people are born with one. Now, I would say our sexual orientation is greatly impacted by our depravity because every other area is. And guess what? Is it not possible that it can manifest itself in same-sex attraction because of that depravity? So is it the... Is, I don't understand. I don't understand it. Now, if Albert Moeller denies the reality of depravity, that would be an enemy within the church. Him simply acknowledging the reality of a sexual orientation, I don't perceive how that's an enemy within the church. That seemed to be, I don't know, dealing with a reality. Because people have, I mean, it's one of those things, whenever I talk about this, I get frustrated because there's things you just like, you need to say to be blunt, but ever, I, I don't, I mean, I'm talking to adults. I think you all know there's things that when it comes to that area of life, sexuality, that you may be attracted to or like that other people cannot even imagine or think about it. Like, they're like, what? You find that attractive? What are you? Blah. And, and you can't really explain Why? You can't, you can't explain why, why I can't explain it. You, you can't explain it because it, it, it's something inerrant in you. I mean, I mean, it's like, it's like, sometimes I feel like with Christians, we have to go, all right, everyone, we're going to go back to sixth grade health class. And we're going to talk about the, the, you know, the birds and the bees. Okay. Because you Christians seem to be really confused in how this works. Let's see where I think we're at a stopping point. Radio, I'm Jan Markell. I have on the line from Sioux City, Iowa, Pastor Kerry Gordon. Actually, we'll just stop right there because it's perfect. Because I think hopefully they're getting ready to move to another enemy. So far, they haven't identified one enemy within the church. Well, they've been talking about Marxism and socialism and that Marxism and socialism is the enemy to America. Somehow it's also the enemy to the church and that Marxism and socialism basically came up with the idea of homosexuality in order to destroy Christianity in America. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, listening to Christian podcasts, I mean, you just never know what you're going to hear. You never know. Okay, so we're going to be like at 18 minutes and I say 28 seconds. Um, enemies. 18 minutes and 28 seconds. Yeah, there we go. All right, we're going to have to stop there. Wow, that went in directions I never imagined going. I really, that, I, I'm just perplexed by this. I'm just perplexed. Enemies within the church. And we're going to spend all of our time talking about enemies without. And then when we get to finally, Albert Moeller, they didn't even bother to identify sexual orientation. They just like, see what he said? He repented. He repented. And like, he repented of being biblical? That's what he did? And they, they, they do they play everything that he had to say there? I don't know. They, they didn't give us the source for that. I, when, when was that statement made? Do we have the full statement? Has Albert Moeller said or preached anything other than that about his now accepting that sexual orientations are real? Like, like, can we at least give him, no, 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 we take a, what, a 15 second clip and boom, he's the enemy within the church. And then we, and then we don't even really explain what, what exactly, how does this Im impact the church's teaching? What's my approach to a homosexual? 
first, I'm not going to worry about your homosexuality. I want to make sure you understand that there is a God. He is holy and you're a sinner. Oh, by the way, so am I. And that same holy God that condemns your sin condemns my sin. Our sins may be different. Now, are you sure you don't, you don't realize you're a sinner? I can go through all, all kinds of things that demonstrate that they're a sinner, right? God declares you to be holy. You're never going to holy, be holy. God condemns lying. God condemns stealing. God condemns lust. I don't need to know who you're lusting for, but if, uh, God condemns adultery. God condemns sex outside the bonds of marriage. Have you engaged? I don't need to know who you're having sex with. All of that is condemned. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. We are both sinners. Guess what you and I both need? We need salvation. Now, once we come to Christ and faith in Christ, we are called now to seek to follow what he commands. Well, guess what? He has lots of things to say about sexuality. When I became a Christian as a teenager, I found out really quick, don't look at girls with lust, don't look at pornography, and don't have premarital sex. Okay, whoa, I wasn't prepared for all of these rules. I didn't know that now becoming a Christian, I can't do any of these things. Well, guess what? Homosexual is going to have that same stark reality. Well, well, wait, so now I can't be engaged, involved in this relationship? No. I can't in, engage in, in, in physical? No, you can't. You have to abstain. See, I, the homosexuality is really secondary to everything. But for some Christians, that's not enough. What was the enemy within the church? I don't know. I mean, the best they've the best they've pointed to is Albert Moeller for saying, I now believe that sexual orientation is a real thing, that it actually exists. I didn't know that one of the key elements of biblical Christianity was the denial of sexual orientation. Or maybe I should say that Christianity teaches there's only one sexual orientation, and that's heterosexual. There have been a lot of homosexuals throughout the history of mankind for it not never to be an orientation. They just all chose it. At, at their own destruction, at their own, in many cases, emotional destruction. But uh, that's a whole different subject. All right, you can give me all of your thoughts on all of this. We're still trying to figure out the enemies within the church. I don't know if the church is capable of pointing to the enemies within because we're so good at pointing at the enemies without, but we will fi- let them finish in our next episode whenever we get back to this. But in the meantime, you can contact me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day.